Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Riverwoods Worship Gathering. Uh, my day started uh, a little unexpected. I normally get up at about 6 a.m., shower, run through my message, and then head here for setup. And suddenly, my wife's alarm is going off at 7 a.m. And she says, oh no, Aaron. And I don't realize what's going on because I'm still asleep. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? She's like, it's 7. And I'm like, so? She says, it's Sunday. <laughs> ah, so, panic mode. Well, I get here and I find out that uh, several of you have also overslept. So we're renaming our church. Uh, to, welcome to Oversleeping Church. And hopefully by all of us oversleeping, all of us will stay awake for the message. This morning, though, was unfortunately not the only time I've ever overslept. I could tell you stories of times where alarms have failed or I have turned them off in my sleep, uh, like I missed a finals once because of it. But probably the worst was I was the brand new young adult pastor at New Covenant Bible Church in Cedar Rapids. I had been there for all of three weeks, and they had an early morning Tuesday men's breakfast, and they wanted me to come and bring the devotional for the morning. So I had prepared something, and at 6.15, I get a phone call from Ed. He was the head elder at the time. He also led the men's breakfast, and he calls and says, Oh, Aaron, I can tell by the sound of your voice, you're not going to make it this morning. I'm like, what time is it? He says, uh, we started 15 minutes ago. He says, everyone's eating breakfast. He says, don't worry about it. I'll cover it. But man, I felt horrible. Like, I just felt awful. Like, what a good first impression. Yeah, good young adult pastor. Like, he oversleeps. You know, it's just not, not good. Like, in that moment, I just felt really, really stupid. But I will say this, that there are times when there is something to be said about stupidity. Like the single mom who was on welfare, and after a dozen rejections, she was just too stupid to realize that no one was going to publish her novel about a teenage wizard in modern-day England, only to go on and sell 350 million copies, making her about $450 million before money and royalties from movies. Or take the inventor who after a thousand failures was just too stupid to realize you can't create an electric candle and yet he went on to change the entire world through the invention of the light bulb. Or how about the guy who was too stupid to realize that you would never be able to change the racist politics of South Africa only to one day become the first black president of his nation? There is something to be said about stupidity. Which is why today I'm going to invite you to be stupid. And it isn't just me. I believe that actually Jesus is calling us to be stupid. And today we're going to see he wants us to be stupid in two areas. He wants us to be stupid in prayer, and he wants us to be stupid in generosity. And the reason I use the word stupid is that because to many people, it is utterly foolish to pray to nothing that's there. Or, or they've tried to pray, but they don't get results. And so therefore, it just doesn't work. And so if you try to pray you're stupid. Or, or if you give things away, then you won't have it for yourself, or, or they might mistreat it, or they might break it. You shouldn't give stuff away. Generosity is stupid. But as we're going to see today, there's something to be said about stupidity. So Father, I pray that today you would help each of us to have our hearts and minds open, because really it isn't stupidity you're calling us to, 
you want us to actually be wise. You want us to, to live in light of eternity. And that is why in the eyes of the world, what you're calling us to do looks stupid, but it's actually the best for us. And so help us to hear this today and help it to impact us. Help us not to just listen to your word and go, oh, that was nice, and then just leave. But may you do the deep work in us so that then you can do a great work through us, even if that means we look stupid to others. So God, Father, we trust you, so teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are continuing on in our unexpected series. We are in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we've got just a few weeks left in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And today we are going to be doing verses 7 through 12. What you heard Leith read earlier was the companion to this. Jesus taught a very similar sermon in the book of Luke. And that one is often called the Sermon on the Plain. I, I happen to believe that as Jesus is an itinerant preacher, dragging his disciples around with them, teaching them about the kingdom, would often go around and say the same thing in different places. But as he did so, he would sometimes just say it in a little different way. And so that's why today we brought you Luke so you could hear that, and now you get to hear it from Matthew. And so we pick it up in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, today's passage has two very famous verses in it. Uh, so famous that I actually thought about splitting them up, putting them in different messages so that each one could stand on its own, so that you could hear each one and walk out with that verse with you. But as I dug into the passage, I started to see that these two verses are actually linked. And, and so rather than being heavyweights that are fighting for your attention, they're actually teammates. Because I believe that today's passage is the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Like, everything we've learned so far is good, it's solid, it's needed, it's necessary, but it's been driving to this right here. And everything after this is going to be saying, basically, you got to get that. And so that's why we got to listen up. And so we're going to look at these two famous verses and the context around them. The first famous verse is right there in verse 7. In fact, Let's read this together. I have the scripture up on the screen. Let's read this together aloud. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Leanne and I, before we had kids, before we took off to the mission field, we were in her home church that she grew up in, and they were kind of our sending church to send us overseas. And so we plugged into the life of the church, and we taught first grade Sunday school. And I loved it. I mean, like at the beginning of the year, the kids could like barely read. And by the end of the school year, I mean, they were solid readers. It was so much fun. Well, as part of the curriculum, we would have different Bible verses that the kids were to memorize. And one of those was Matthew 7, 7. And because I was a music major in college, I decided, hey, let's help the kids out. And we'll put this, the verse to music. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you today, primarily because I have forgotten it. But at the time, 
20-some years ago, it worked really, really well. Because we later quizzed the kids one-on-one, hey, do you know the verse? And you could tell as they were reciting the verse back, the little song is going in their head. You could just tell the way they were saying it. It was so neat. But why are we teaching this verse to first graders? And why do some people take this, song, this verse and put it to song? Because it is a key critical verse. There is a lot of encouragement in it, but there's also a bit of a command in it. There's three key words in it. Ask, seek, and knock. And all you have to do is remember the first word, and you can remember the rest. Ask, A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. And if you can remember ask, you'll probably be able to remember the next two. But here's the thing. In the Greek, those verbs are in the imperative form. So it's a bit of a command. And not only a command, it's this idea of keep going. And so like the new, if you happen to use the New Living Translation today, you'll see it says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. There's this idea of perseverance at it. In other words, be stupid in prayer. Just keep going. It makes you feel like, oh, but what if God isn't answering? What if, what if he isn't there? You keep going. You keep at it. Even if you feel stupid, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking. Why? Because of the next verse. Verse 8. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. It's this idea that as you continue to go to God in prayer, as you continue to ask him, as you continue to seek him, as you continue to knock on the door of heaven, he will respond. He will answer you. So even when he seems silent, don't give up. Stay stupid. Just keep going. No matter what anyone else around you says, keep at it. And and Jesus gives an earthly example and not only an earthly example, Jesus breaks out his inner stand-up comic. He makes his, his audience laugh for a moment. Verse 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? I can almost imagine as Jesus is standing there on the mountain and his disciples are there at his feet and the audience is there just beyond. All of a sudden they'd hear him say, well, who of you would give your son a serpent if he asks for fish? And people would probably chuckle, <laughs> like, no, like, I, I wouldn't do, no one would do that. that. That's silly. And that is making Jesus's point. Brings you to verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, if you're like me, you didn't hear all of that verse. Because you probably stumbled for just a moment when you heard Jesus say, if you then who are evil, and you probably stopped for a second, like, wait a second, I'm not evil. Like in our world, evil is Hitler. I I, I mean, evil is like a mass murderer walking into a nightclub and killing people. That's evil. I'm not evil. I mean, we live in Iowa. We are surrounded by all sorts of good people. I mean, I've said it. You know, I'll talk about, oh, she, she's, she's great. She is, she's good. You know, you talk about someone as being a good wife or a good husband, a good parent. You know, you, you talk about a guy, you go, man, he, he's great. I mean, they just don't make him better than that. But the reason we're able to say that is because we're usually comparing them to other humans. Like, 
the dad who's faithful to his wife, who loves his kids and is devoted to them, who goes and works hard. We can look at that and compare him to the guy who, who's, you know, been with three or four different women, who's not there for his children, can't keep a job. And we look at them and go, well, yeah, I can tell who's good and who's not. But that's not the standard. We've got to have a different definition of evil, and it, this comes by having a different definition of good. You see, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus defines good. And he says that no one is good except God. That's the standard. God is the definition of good. And so that means that even our good works, the things that we do are good, they're filthy in comparison. In fact, in Isaiah, it says that our works are like filthy rags, or, or some translations put it as polluted garments. I'll give you an example. Uh, as some of you know, the WSR school district has a one-to-one uh, policy. In other words, for every child, they will have a technology device to help them in their learning. And when my family moved to Waverly, it was a brand new program. And that year, they had uh, it was a, a, an iPad for every student between fifth grade to twelfth grade. They've since adjusted that and changed it, but at the time, it was an iPad. Now, the iPad came preloaded with a bunch of different programs, some that the teachers had asked for because they were going to be using that in their curriculum. Some were just, you know, preloaded with the iPad itself. And one of those that Apple included with the iPad was GarageBand. Now, GarageBand is a software tool for making music, and it comes preloaded with a bunch of drum tracks and different loops and, and, you know, different piano sounds and guitar riffs and that so that you could begin to create your own music. Now, one of my children, who I'm going to allow to remain nameless, discovered GarageBand on the iPad and began to create all sorts of music. And he or she would be so proud of their song. And they would actually come over and say, Daddy, come listen to my new song. And the dad in me loved seeing their creativity. I just, I smiled at seeing the way they were exploring. But the musician in me was cringing. Because, like, the drum tracks didn't even match. Like, they actually would clash. And, and it would start over here, and the song would go over there. And, I mean, it was so chaotic. And, oh, it just, it was painful. And it was all I could do to say, wow, that's great. Inside, I'm, I'm, I was just lying to their face. Because it wasn't. Now, you take that same iPad with that same GarageBand software, and you put it in the hands of a professional musician— they could put something together, and you would listen to them and go, oh, now that's good. Now you've given the definition. Not that what my child had done earlier was evil. Well, maybe it was to some musicians. But that's what our good works are like. We can do all these good things. I mean, this had professional drum tracks in it. It had all sorts of different sounds. And yet, when you'd listen to it, oh, it just was grating. It was hard. That's what it's like when we go out and try to do good things. It's like we're trying to clean with polluted garments, with filthy rags. It, it's, it's nice if we're trying to clean, yet we're not accomplishing anything. Why? But because the default nature of mankind is sin, and it taints everything. And, and so therefore, it means that even when we go out to do good things, it's still stained by sin. And so we go out and do something nice for someone, but actually hidden in there is this desire for the good feeling we get by doing something nice. Or we go out and we do something really great for someone, 
But really what we're wanting is for them to think great things of us. Or we go out and do something really, really kind. But really what we're wanting is for them to give something back to us. You see, even our good works are still tainted by sin. That is why Jesus calls us evil. Because we are not doing it first and foremost for the glory of God. We're kind of doing some of it for the glory of self. That's why Jesus can get away and say, even though you are evil. He's not trying to insult us. He's not trying to malign us. He's just pointing out the truth. And yet that makes his point all the more. Because if you, who are evil, who do these things out of sin, do it out of selfishness, you still know how to give your kids good things. That when they ask for bread, you don't give them rocks. When they ask for a fish, you don't give them a snake. Like, you know how to give good things. So even if you, who are tainted by sin, can still do this, now imagine a perfect heavenly father who doesn't give based on whether his sports team won or not. He doesn't give whether he got fired or got a promotion. He doesn't give based on whether he's feeling under the weather or feeling really good this day. He gives out of his consistent nature of love. Imagine what kind of gifts he gives. He gives good things. That's why we can be stupid in prayer. That's why we can keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Because we know that he's not just some dad who's going to, you know, give based on how he's feeling. He's going to give consistently. We can trust him. That is why we can be stupid in prayer. Now, does this mean that God will then just give us anything and everything that we want? I remember one day, little kid, I was probably eight, nine, maybe 10 years old, and I'm riding in the car with a family from my church. All right? I don't remember why they were transporting me. All I remember is the dad up front, his wife next to him, and I'm sitting in the back seat with two of their daughters. And we're driving down the road, and as we're driving, all of a sudden, this really cool car, I don't remember what it was, but it, it's coming from the opposite direction, and the dad suddenly says out loud, in the name of Jesus, I claim that car. Thank you, Father, that you are giving that car. That car is mine. Thank you, Father. And I sat there stunned. And I must have had a stunned look on my face. Because they began to, like, teach me that Matthew seven eleven that God gives good gifts to his children. They also began to quote Psalm 37, 4, that God gives us the desires of our heart. And clearly the dad desired that car. And so he was just naming in the name of Jesus that God's going to give him that car. And that car is his. But there's a problem. He left off a key critical ingredient from Psalm 37.4. In fact, if you know where Psalm 37.4 is, go ahead and flip there. It says this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So yes, it says he will give you the desires of your heart. But before he will give you the desires of your heart, you must first delight in the Lord. He must be the first desire of you. If all you want from God is the things, you want the car, you want the job, you want the spouse, you want the kids, you want the reputation, and that's all you're going to use God for, you're treating him like a cosmic vending machine. And suddenly your prayers are turning into the little coins you put in, and you're pushing the right buttons so to dispense out exactly what you want. But James chapter uh, 4 warns us against that. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us, You do not have because you do not ask, but you ask 
and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. You claim to follow God, but really what your heart wants first is stuff. You want the material wealth. You want the financial abundance. That's what you want. So merely you're using God. You're going to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, just so you can get the stuff. And James warns us, oh, you're not going to get it because God knows your loving, perfect, heavenly father who put his image in you is wanting to restore you into the image of Jesus, knows that what you need is not the stuff of earth. He's got something better for you. So he's not going to give it to you because in that moment, you are being adulterous. You're not putting God first. You're putting stuff of earth first. And because God is passionate for you, he's not going to give. And so you can't take Matthew seven eleven and abuse it, thinking, therefore, oh, God's going to give me good things. How great. What can I get? No, you got to stop and first delight in the Lord. Make Jesus the center of your identity. And as you are Jesus-centered, as you then pray to this God who you are delighting in, and you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking, he will then give you the desires of your heart. But what happens is when you delight yourself in him, he molds you and shapes you and even your desires to begin to change. So that instead of just coveting the car, you now want God. And when there comes a time where you need a vehicle, you're now asking out of the right motives, not just because that car's going to make me look good or feel good, but because this is the tool I need to transport my children, to be a blessing to others, to help others. So be stupid in prayer, but be stupid in prayer by first seeking him. Make Jesus first and foremost in your life, because as you pray, God will be transforming you more and more into the image of Jesus so that you will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And that actually leads us to the second famous verse, verse 12. So back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, I suspect that many of you have heard this. It's called the golden rule. And some people who don't believe in Christianity, love to point out that this verse is not unique to Jesus. It, in fact, it actually predates Jesus. Like other people, other religions said similar things before Jesus ever uttered these words. In fact, I went out, I've heard that claim several times. So I went and did some research on it this week. And sure enough, tons of different faiths have this golden rule. And I brought some of them for you. Uh, the Baha'i, they put it this way. Lay not on any soul a load that you would not wish to be laid upon you, and desire not for anyone the things you would not desire for yourself. Buddhism puts it this way. Hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Confucianism, he's considered, uh, you know, maybe possibly being the first to say it. Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. And then Hinduism, his is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Now, I, I could go on. Uh, you, you find it in Judaism, in Islam, in, in many different uh, faith traditions. However, did you notice, though, one key difference between those I showed you and what Jesus said? Is that most of those put it in the negative, whereas Jesus puts it in the positive. 
Now, to be fair, some religions do also have it in the positive, all right? So Jesus isn't the only one saying it there. But it was remarkable to me how many of them had it in the negative. Well, one side I set, read, they said that when it's in the positive, it's called the golden rule. When it's in the negative, it's the silver rule. I don't know who made that up. But now you can sound like you're really smart and claim it's this truth. Uh, but it was remarkable how many put it in the negative form, whereas Jesus puts it in the positive. But did you notice something else that Jesus did with it? He didn't just put it in the positive. Notice how he starts it. It starts off with so. Some translate it so then, or the English Standard Version, which I'm using, says so whatever, or the Holman Christian Standard, which I also like. It starts off therefore. In other words, Jesus is stating the golden rule, this, this rule that's been around through Judaism and, and other faith traditions know of it, but he's tying it to what he just said earlier. And what was it he just said? To be stupid in prayer. To keep asking, to keep seeking, keep knocking. Because Jesus knows that if you delight yourself in the Lord, you put him first, you keep seeking him. As you seek him, he changes and molds you to become more like the image of Jesus. So that you will love like Jesus loved. And therefore, you will desire what Jesus desires. And you will give as Jesus gave. That's why he's saying, you want stuff from God? You go to him. You ask God, knowing that he's the only one who can give these good things to you. But likewise, when someone asks of you, you give generously to them. I remember my junior year of college, Leanne and I were engaged, and we were going to be living in student-married housing on campus. So it meant we had to furnish a little apartment. And as we're trying to get various things, someone tells us that someone wants to give us a mattress. In fact, they had two sets of mattresses that were barely used, and so they wanted to bless two sets of married uh, students. And so we were going to get one of them. We just had to find a truck to go get it, because my 1988 Buick Century probably wasn't going to be able to carry two queen mattresses on it. So, no problem. I know Matt. Matt was in my dorm. He had a truck. This will be easy. So I walk up to Matt one night at dinner. Uh, they're in the cafeteria. And I said, hey, Matt, can I borrow your truck? And all of a sudden, the look on Matt's face looked as if I just asked him if, like, I could start dating his girlfriend. I, I mean, it was just like, what? And immediately, you could tell the answer is going to be no. And he hemmed and hawed, and he stuttered. And he's like, oh, but, well, um, no, I, 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 I just can't lend it out to anyone. I, I'm, I'm the only one. I, I, I can only drive it. And he wasn't available to help. And I just remember in that moment, feeling, here's someone with the power to help me, and he's keeping it from me because he just couldn't stand the thought of someone else driving his precious truck. And I just remember feeling like, hey, if I have a vehicle and someone needs it, I'm just, I've just decided now I'm going to give it up to him. Now, it helps that I've always had junky, you know, rusty cars. It, it's no problem. Go ahead, wreck it. It's probably, whatever, the replacement will probably be better. But I just remember that feeling that if you have the power to help, do it. That whatever you wish someone would do for you, that's what you do for someone else. Matt just couldn't get there. The passage that Leith read for us out of Luke, Jesus goes even further. That even if the person begs of you, you give it. And even if they are, you, know, you loan them something and they don't give it back to you, so what? So what? You give. Yeah, it, it's stupid to give your truck, especially a really nice truck. Someone might wreck it. They might scratch it. They, they may do something wrong. They may mistreat it. Uh, so what? Be stupid. 
in generosity. Give. Give to them as though you were someone would give to you. Because when you do, you are honoring Jesus. You are lifting him high. So when you are stupid in prayer, you're revealing your dependency on Jesus. But when you are stupid in generosity, you are revealing your desire to be like Jesus. That's why we are to be stupid in prayer and stupid in generosity. But I'll be honest. (laughs) It's hard. It is really hard. Because when you keep praying and you don't feel like God is answering, you just want to quit because you feel stupid. And when someone asks of you and they take it and they abuse it and they don't honor you, you you feel taken advantage of. And it just kind of grates against you. How in the world are we supposed to continue to behave this way? Because I'll be honest, if I just try to go out and do it, yeah, I might give something generously and I'll feel good about myself. But then when they mistreat it, for instance, one time we lent our our car. We used to have a a 1996 Ford Taurus wagon. All right, again, another junky car. So this family, their car was going, they only had one vehicle. It was going into the shop. They had nothing and they had like four kids. We had two vehicles. We had our minivan and the, the wagon. So we're like, let's lend them our wagon for the weekend. All right, felt great. They were so grateful and thankful. And when we got it back, it had crushed Cheetos everywhere. I was not a happy camper vacuuming out a mess that I did not make. Now, if my children had made it, I would have been making them vacuum it up. But they didn't make it. And so I'm out there vacuuming it. Yeah, sometimes people take advantage of you. So how in the world can you do this day in, day out? Your motivation has to be the gospel. Because when you look at Jesus upon a cross, dying your death for your sins, he had done nothing wrong, and yet he's taking it upon himself to free you. That is what's going to help you continue to be stupid in prayer, to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, even when you feel like you're not hearing anything back. Because you know this is a good God, and he's already done for you the ultimate thing. He's already paid for your sin. You are free. You are now in relationship with him. And so that's why you can continue to go to him with these things. And then you look at his generosity, and you see how Jesus gave up everything for you. That's why you can then Gladly and easily give up a car to lend to someone else, to give something else, to give someone a gift, to pay for something, to cover someone's debt, to do this generous act. Because Jesus has done it for you. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to be Jesus-centered. That is what's going to enable you to be stupid in prayer and stupid in generosity. And so, I want to encourage you. Be stupid. Ask God, ask him, knowing that he loves you. And then, be stupid in generosity. Just give ridiculously, even when it looks stupid, because there's just something to be said for stupidity. So, Father, I just pray you would help us to be stupid in these ways, because to do so is actually wise. Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you for giving up your throne in heaven to come to earth, to take on human flesh, and to to walk through this existence that we face. You know what it was like to be tired. You know what it was like to be hungry. You, You know what it was like to sweat. You know what it was like to be cold. And yet, you never sinned. (laughs) And then you go to the cross. You die the ultimate death, the most painful death, 
and you did it in our place. We deserved that, and yet you did it for us. It shows your heart for us. Heavenly Father, you created us. You put your image upon us. You love us. You want to be in relationship with us, and you don't want us abusing you like some dad that we just get things from. Instead, you want us to be there with you, talking with you, crying to you, laughing with you, just being in relationship. And then it's out of that relationship, you give these good things to us. God, help us to be dependent upon you for everything and anything. And then God, when others come and ask us, help us to be quick, to give, to be generous, to give to them like we would want others to give towards us. And may the motivation be not that we would feel good, not that we would look good, not that we would get something in return, but that instead we give the glory to you and we find our joy in you because you give us the desires of our hearts and what we need to be our first desire is Jesus. So that's why, God, we ask that you would mold us and shape us to be more like Christ because that's what's going to enable us to keep going to you, our good Heavenly Father, and be perseverant in prayer. It's what's going to empower us to give so generously to others because they need you just as much as we need you. So that's why we pray, Father, that you would do this deep gospel work in us because you want to. You find joy in doing a great work through us. So that's why we ask, Father, that you would do this for your glory and for our joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.